choosing the investor is more as choosing your future spouse. So it's the marriage. So like <laughs> once you have gone down that path, it's not that easy to separate. Uh, and therefore, like it's this is for the long run. Like we need to know that we are right for each other for coming five, ten years. And that puts more pressure into the conversation. Hello and welcome to The Finterview, a show about the stories of innovators, entrepreneurs and builders shaping the future of our financial world through technology. We're going to keep finding inspiring stories to share with you, so make sure you've subscribed to the show to never miss an episode. Hi everyone, this is your host, Amar Kotak of The Finterview Podcast, sponsored by the Fintech Foundation and Integrated Finance. Today, I have a very special guest with me, one half of the dynamic duo of co-female-led CEOs of Infuse, uh, Denise Johansson. Denise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for the chat. (laughs) Before we speak about the foundation and your role at Infuse, um, I'd actually like to start a little bit further back. Um, Pretty much straight from your studies, you joined the cards industry or the fintech industry. Yes. How did that happen? Because, you know, when I left my studies, I didn't even know the fintech industry existed. How did you come across it? Well, uh, I didn't know it uh, directly either. So it was more kind of uh, almost a mistake. Um, I did not want to end up within the financial industry. I, uh, but I needed uh, something to do over the summer. And uh, there was this one summer vacation um, position at the bank uh, within their card department. Uh, I didn't know anything more about the cards than as a normal uh, (laughs) 20-year-old consumer. Uh, But that was my way uh, into the financial industry. Uh, I had a great summer there. Uh, I was actually good uh, at that job. I was able to execute Uh, beyond their expectations Uh, and as I didn't have any plans for the fall uh, they offered me a full-time job and uh, I was young I was thinking okay let's let's stay on for a while and uh, well I I still haven't left so (laughs) (laughs) it it became a long journey but uh, that was the way in by accident Well, I guess it also helps that you were that you were good at your job, right? And if you're good and you enjoy it, then why not stay? Exactly. I I think that's all. Like, if uh, if you are excited about the tasks you are given, you show proactiveness. You show that you want to do more. Um, I can get bored quite easily. So yeah. that was from an old bank perspective, where most of my colleagues were much, much, much older than me, (laughs) have been doing what they have been told for a very long time. I came in with fresh energy and never satisfied with doing just what I was told to do. Uh, I was really from the beginning there, how can we improve things? How can we make things better? Why are we doing this? Uh, And I think that's often what the younger younger generation brings to to companies. (laughs) I also think... um... When people do that, you can very easily tell that they may go on to entrepreneurship in the future because they're always looking to disrupt, to improve what they see as problems, right? Looking back, do you always, do you think now that 
it was your destiny to kind of become an entrepreneur? I know you've said before you never wanted to be one, but <laughs> do you think it was inevitable? Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, it is funny because everyone who knew me from like when I grew up, like two, three years old, uh, family, friends, they all told me that I have two paths in life that I can choose from. Uh, it's either becoming an entrepreneur or I will be a like within the politics, so politician. And I said no to both streams, like, no, that's so not me, but still I've never been satisfied with anything. I always wanted to challenge why we are doing things. How could it be more efficient? Like, you don't put baby in a corner. Like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think if I now look back, it yeah, it was probably my destiny, but it took some time for me to realize uh, what it can be and, uh, like, why fight against it when I actually think that I might be quite good at it. Good at it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you didn't want to be a politician or an entrepreneur growing up, what did you want to be? Uh, I wanted to join the police. Uh, oh, wow. And then I wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and uh, I even applied uh, for university for law. But it turned out that you actually had to read and like you had to spend the summer preparing for that education. And um, I did not have time for that in that age. <laughs> mm. So then I had to, to take my second option was like, OK, but figures and numbers always been easy for me. So if I don't get into law school, let's do, do something around economics instead. And there I ended up due to laziness. Nice. and. <laughs> Well, it worked out well in the end, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so then if we go back to your time at CrossKey, what were, do you think, some of the skills you learned super early on in your career that prepared you for your role today? Was there anything that really stands out, like one piece of advice from a from a mentor on your early days? No, but I think what I learned really early on was stakeholder management. So what am I doing and who might it concern and what do they need to do their work uh, better or faster or like just do their work. So stakeholder management and the import, like how important it is, not only from own perspective, from uh, individual perspective, but really from company uh, perspective and if you are really good at that you can leverage that skill anywhere in any position uh, in any company uh, and I yeah I, I think I realized it myself more than anyone telling it to me but then I saw that as an opportunity like if that's my edge if that's my skill uh, I can utilize it and I can be moving around in the company uh, into the positions I wanted. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people when they're early on in their career think stakeholder management is just managing seniors and their and how they think and how they what their expectations are. But actually I think it's as much managing your peers and your juniors as well, right? And I think all founders always say the hardest thing of running a company is managing people. But if that's one of your skills, I guess that's what you probably enjoy the most, is that correct? 
Uh, enjoy the most, but also give me <laughs> most gray hair. So I, I'm with my fellow founders here. It is definitely the hardest thing. Like if you could do this journey uh, on your own with your co-founders, like you would do it, it would be so much easier. But it wouldn't bring as much fun. It wouldn't be challenging in the same ways. And if it's not challenging, you would probably be bored much sooner. So uh, it's. I still think that I'm good at it. And I think I have a clear role internally as well in getting alignment within the company and getting everyone to see the same goal. Uh, like starting their journeys, uh, painting the journeys towards that goal, depending from what team they are involved in the discussion. But it's still challenging. It's not that it comes like super easy and for free for me, but I like the challenge. That's great. And then from what I read, you, you, you've done a bit of product and you've done a bit of sales in your past experience, right? And I always think people who work in product roles tend to be really good entrepreneurs because what they focus on is the client and the problem and how they solve that. But then I think if you work in sales, it gives you that thick skin that you need to be an entrepreneur. Which of those roles do you think was more important for you in terms of becoming a founder and co-CEO? Good question. Uh, never received before. And uh, maybe it is the product side. Uh, I do see both as being numbers and business. So uh, I don't maybe look at my past experience as you do that that was product, that was sales. It's always been around business for me. It's been uh, around translating uh, a business desire to what technical solutions can solve and then putting a price on it. But I do think that the interpretation of business need to solution gives me then the credibility in the long run. Why, why am I allowed to have a voice in this conversation? Well, I do know what I'm talking about. So I think that's the edge into the sales conversation as well, uh, that I was never a real salesperson. I don't think that that's my biggest strength but why I have succeeded in landing like really big deals earlier in my career and at Enviews is just because I know what I'm talking about. I know the other side of the table. I know what they are facing, but I also know my own side and I can justify uh, the solution we bring, the price we set uh, and the service level that we are uh, able to provide. And that gives you credibility and if you have credibility you have a lot to gain absolutely i mean i always say um people don't buy from companies they buy from people right and if you can show 100%. credibility and and if you can also show empathy to your buyer's problem it just feels like it creates that element of authenticity and chemistry between seller and buyer and that and then it becomes a you become a trusted sounding board so and i think that's when the sales process really um, adds so much more value to 
the buyer and that's when they're more likely to sign with you. I 100% agree with you and that's my only tip to, to any new uh, joining our sales team that, uh, that they really need to understand the value that they bring into the conversation even though they are new to the company um, they they add that uh, personal flavor to the conversation they should be the ones building the trust uh, and they have the mandate from Enfuse perspective to build that trust uh, and that's like you shouldn't take light on that role because in the end if you are going to get a signature on the paper uh, that trust needs to be there or they won't choose us in the end, no matter how good our service is or how recognized brand it is. So always needed. Absolutely. And then do you think those skills have made it easier for you to raise investment from Infuse? I know, you know, you've also said a few times, you know, when you first raised your first round, you're like, oh, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Raising is over. But you spend, you know, so much more of your time raising. But do you think these skills of building credibility and authenticity and trust helps with raising investment? Today I can say that I think so, uh, but it wasn't obvious for me uh, in the beginning. Uh, I was actually, the only thing where I have really questioned myself for the journey of Enfuse uh, was in those early investing uh, conversation, because that was totally new area for me I like I had no idea what we were like bringing to the table from an investor perspective so I didn't trust uh, our storytelling our value uh, and therefore every challenging question we got we got a little hesitant that oh they might be right we might be wrong and then we lost the credibility so I think the the first round of investment that was uh, like we learned so much but then coming out of that when we looked back that when we realized like what went wrong from our own perspective is that we didn't own up to our story to our value to what we as founders uh, and leading the company what we bring to the table and then we took that learning with us and just well I think we were more ourselves going into the second and definitely the third round. And I would say that the third round of funding, it came like 80% of what we brought to the table and 20% of the actual technical. Like they just assume that's there. So that's when we realized that they only look for those founders that really have that edge to truly complete what they say that their mission is to complete. Uh, so, so yeah, now, now it's really evident that it is that way, but it took us longer than expected to realize it. That's super interesting, that story. I mean, I guess it's a common one that you hear that, you know, when you're raising investment, well, if we go back to when you're selling, right, you're confident in what you're selling, you're confident in your narrative and what your value proposition is when you're talking to a prospect or a client. But as soon as you flip that to an investor, I mean, an investor probably knows so much more, right? Like, they, they see so many fintechs. Like, if they tell me I'm wrong, I must be wrong. Mm, Rather exactly. than sticking to your guns and having that self-confidence that you have when you're in sales. 
and you start doubting yourself just because they have the title of investor, even yeah. though they, you probably know the industry and your market better than they do. But it's such an interesting dynamic that forms as soon as you start speaking to someone with that title. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, if they say they are a fintech investor, they must have met, like, thousand companies that are better, uh, have more experience than uh, the two of us had at that time. But actually, no. Like, we haven't met many investors who have actually, uh, with credibility, challenged us in our way of thinking because they see the surface uh, of the wow. many so they know the surface they know the macroeconomics of the industry you are playing within but they don't have the depth they have never gone as deep as you have so like that's really sticking to your own belief into your own truth and don't let anyone's title uh, challenge you too much uh, it should be the good challenge there like you need to find the investor who you who dares to challenge you and who you can have the inspiring conversation with but you shouldn't start questioning yourself because don't believe that just because they have been doing that for 20 years that they actually have done what you have done because most of them have never built a company uh, exactly. yeah it's such a, it's a super interesting dynamic that just forms by happenstance, but it's just one that you just have to correct mentally, right? You have to mm. go into every meeting and every discussion like, I know this idea is right. I know it has value. And I'm going to sell this idea to the investor as I sell it to a client who signs with me. Yeah. Um, but I, I must add to that that it's still a little different, uh, I think, so... Or, because when you sell to a client, you never put them into a corner where they can never leave. So if it would turn out to be a bad relationship in the end, you can just go apart. But uh, choosing the investor is more uh, as choosing your future uh, spouse. So it's the marriage. So like <laughs> once you have gone down that path, it's not that easy to separate. Uh, and therefore... Like it's, this is for the long run. Like we need to know that we are right for each other for coming five, 10 years. And that puts more pressure into the conversation than just randomly date, have a nice dinner and walk away if not, no good. So, so it is still the, the long-term relationship building that is mixing up that uh, conversation a little bit. And, and that's how we also looked at it then from the Series C round. So we started off with having like, I don't remember, maybe 80 first-time dates where it was just like, saying hello, getting a sense of uh, level of understanding, how is the dynamic between, between us, and then choosing uh, fewer and fewer that you went on more and more dates on. And then in the end, we went into the prenup discussion. So how is this relationship really going to work? And how are we going to handle challenging times together? Like almost like, how are we raising the kids together? How are we doing when things get tough? And that then choosing the one in the end that you felt that, well, I think that with this one, we also can take the really hard conversation uh, if it comes to that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that analogy of, uh, well, people always say it's easier to get divorced from a spouse than divorced yes. from an investor, right? 
yeah. I have I haven't experienced either or yet, so uh... <laughs> let's keep it that way it's for the best. Yes, let's keep it like that. <laughs> but yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you talk about that. I mean, I know from uh, integrated finance when the team were raising the uh, seed round, we spoke to 150 VCs at the time, right? And it's it's that element of speed dating and finding someone you bond with and have that chemistry with and someone that's willing to go on a journey with you together. Yes. Um, you've talked a lot about being challenged as part of the investment round. How challenging is it for you um, as a co-CEO, right? I mean, you must get this question so many times from everyone you speak to because it's such an unusual company structure, right, to have two CEOs. Mm. And you weren't always the CEO um, initially when you, when, you, when you first joined the company or when you first started Infuse. So talk us through how, um, how you became co-CEO and then the sort of challenges you face with that. Uh, so we started off by having Monica as the CEO. Then after a couple of years, we switched to me becoming the CEO and then we formed a group of companies and then we switched so Monica took the main brand of Enfuse as the CEO and I took the rest of the companies uh, as CEOs and I think during those years when we tried to figure out who is the CEO and what does that mean for that person versus the other person that was our challenging time because we were in this together. Uh, we didn't make any decision uh, without having the other party involved in the decision. And uh, it, yeah, it's always been the two of us. And then it was uh, during the Series C when those that we went further into the conversations with that started to refer us as the dynamic duo, like referring us as the co-CEOs. Uh, and... Immediately when we heard that concept, it was like, this is so obvious that that's what we are. And we haven't had challenges, but it's just because we know each other so well. Uh, we see the future of Enfuse exactly the same. Like we know where we want to take the company. Uh, then we have different ways of uh, looking at the journey towards that goal. Well, I'm much more like uh, practical, I, I see really clear steps, I see figures. Monica is more painting the big picture and using all the colors that we need to use uh, to get there. And it's when we combine the different ways of looking at how to get us through to that IPO that it just makes so much sense. And there's been time when it's been really a struggle to make the decision to keep going but the good thing that it's always been the two of us and we have never questioned this journey at the same time so when one of us have been really tired and almost prepared to give up the other one had been around taking all the big fights at the moment done the hard job and trying to lift the other on the side until the other uh, is up uh, and we are doing it together. And we've been both going through the tough times, just like because life throws you stuff you don't want to <laughs> be dealing with. Uh, we both have families and so on. So I, I think that if it's 
if it would have only been one of us, I don't think that Enfuse would be here because that one person would probably have given up or taking uh, a lighter journey. So finding another destiny uh, for the company at some point. So it's really been the blessing uh, having the two of us. Uh, that means that someone is always having the energy to push through uh, all the time and also the joy. So like you can share uh, how exciting it is to have, I don't know, the 10th employee, the 100th employee opening the office in London, whatever it is. It's not the same sharing it at home with your family as it is sharing it with your co-founder, co-CEO, because it's just the two of us that knows exactly what's behind every success uh, that we have uh, been able to achieve. So it's both the hard time, but also the joy. And to be able to share that, that's the blessing. And uh, I can see us doing this in any other form. Uh, but I do understand that it's really not for everyone. Uh, like you can't force yourself into a co-situation. It needs to be there naturally and then more forming the wording around it. Oh, so we are the co-CEOs rather than having two great people with different skill sets. And by the way, the two of you are co-CEOs. No, I don't think that would work as good. And it all comes from that one phone call she made to you. Yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's crazy how one phone call can change a life, right? Yeah, it is. And also like really shows that Take the opportunities. You never know what will be the blessings in your lives and what will be just learnings. Uh, but if something within you tells you uh, to make a change, uh, to have the gut to do something new in your life, you don't know exactly in what form, uh, at what time that uh, chance will come. But when there is something, grab and say yes. And uh, in the best of cases, it, it uh, turns out like it did for the two of us. <laughs> That's fantastic. And um, you've obviously talked super positively about the journey with, with Monica and Infuse, but you've also talked about some of the challenges where you maybe were facing the abyss, either professionally as a company or personally with your own role and journey with Infuse. Talk me through some of those, say, dark moments where why you maybe considered leaving the company was it professionally was it personally and then obviously maybe monica was able to support you and, and get you through but what kept you there what did you have to go through internally to keep pushing mm. i think it's never either or a personal or business i think your life is all always a summary of everything included in life uh, like going through the first financing round uh, and like that was totally new for me and I didn't understand what it would require and I've always had high confidence and believe in myself but as I already mentioned talking to the investors uh, I wasn't myself during that journey because I really started to question like my own value and uh, whether we actually have something unique to bring to the table. 
and you don't afford starting questioning yourself because once you go down that rabbit hole then it's an endless black hole uh, at the same time like my kids were fairly young when we started the company they were one and three and like the journey from 2016 to 20 uh, late 2018 when we started talking to investors we were in the middle of having endless sick days at home with kids bad uh, like if i was at home i wasn't doing enough for infuse if i was traveling i wasn't doing enough for the family uh, then starting to question my own value and if we really bring something that just kept me going is this really what i want for myself in the future and is this the right thing uh, to do for the kids uh, being away from them so much uh, Monica never questioned me or my value to the dynamic duo that we already back then brought to the table and uh, she like she doesn't listen to any of that bullshit she's really like you don't go down that rabbit hole like so as soon as I had articulated what I started to feel, she just dismissed it and just put me like on the like, this is how it is. I never want to hear that bullshit again. Like you need to get your sh shit together and you are going to continue this journey uh, together with me. And like, you tell me what you need to get back on track. And uh, in the end, it was maybe just talking out loud about the fears of not being enough. And then she just like pulled me out of that rabbit hole. And then uh, I was back on track. Uh, but then again, during COVID, like when that hit and when we went into the first real lockdown, uh, then I had one kid in school, uh, one at daycare. Suddenly I found myself with being locked in the house with both kids trying to manage uh, school, daycare, uh, saving a company. My husband had to be at the office, even though there was a lockdown, because where he worked, they just needed to be every day at office. And like, you live through it, and I can't understand how, how I survive. But that, again, just became so stressful for the whole family situation. Like, did we give enough attention for the five-year-old who just didn't understand why can't she be at daycare? And what about the seven-year-old trying to learn how to read and to write? And my patience with going through that and then uh, going through business meetings with partners wanting to pull out and customers struggling with their economics and us trying to save all the different relationships at the same time as dealing with a lot of employees who are uh, like facing things that they never been facing before. Um, uh, but I think that's the only time also when me and Monica had like a small dip together because that's the only time when we ever spoke out loud that if this is what's going to kill Enfuse, then we did everything we could to save it. But we were not prepared for like a global pandemic. Uh, so then we need to be merciful uh, to each other and see where we end up uh, at the end of this. 
but we decided also like let's not give in too easy so let's try to to pull through and uh, be understanding for the other party if we have to take more at home uh, versus with the, the company and so on so uh, yeah we we did a small dip together but again articulating the fear of that this might be something that we can't pull out from uh, gave us the strength to pull through so again it's often that you have to dare to say out loud what you are most afraid of saying out loud because then once you have done that it's actually not that scaring anymore and so it's easier to overcome that fear absolutely i mean it's funny like when you go through those periods even i think when you're saying it out loud you're actually thinking to yourself actually this isn't that hard or that bad like as soon as you start vocalizing it you're like oh actually i can deal with that oh i am good enough oh i am strong enough and then the the validation that comes from the other side be that monaco or whoever it's yeah. just a reinforcement of what your brain has already started processing exactly yeah totally agree and it, it, i think it's so important for all people out there be the founders or not that when you're going through these periods it's just understanding that talking about it is so much better than trying to contextualize it or compartmentalize it internally right and and i'm definitely guilty about that i've spoken about that with other people that when i have stress at work i'm really good at compartmentalizing and i can go home have a nice evening with my partner and, and watch a movie or whatever but then you're never really fully present because your mind always slips into the the bit you're trying to compartmentalize and yes. the stress that you're internalizing but then and, they, and your partner can tell, like Monica could probably tell that something was wrong with you or bothering yeah. you, but she was waiting for you to vocalize it. And, and you know, my, my partner's very, very similar in that. And sometimes they'll try and drag it out of me, like, okay, now what's the issue? And then as soon as you speak about it, they're like, well, just do this, this and this, or like pull your shit together. It's, it's just yeah. sometimes <laughs> like buck up, like get over it, move on. It, it's, yeah, I feel like talking about it always helps and... And especially, as we mentioned, being a founder is so lonely as it is. And if you then recluse yourself from talking to people that you can rely on, it becomes five times harder than what it has to be, which is already super hard. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> so and speak to each other. <laughs> speak to each other, exactly. But then are there any other things you do to try and um, deal with the pressures of being a founder? I, I mean, you're a super active person, right? Um, you, you do CrossFit, biking, golf, hiking. Is that your is that your way of de-stressing, kind of getting out and about into nature? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, at least that's what I'm telling myself. But I, I also think that it's uh, just my uh, personality. So I'm I'm all or I'm nothing. So if I'm just at home being lazy that I'm just lazy like I get nothing done and then at the end of that day I'm like okay so what value did this day bring my life will I remember this day when I get old no I don't so therefore I really like to collect memories like I'm a memory junkie so I, I really want to collect good memories and I think memories uh, is a lot about like the feeling of achievement so that's a lot how I 
help my kids grow up as well, like doing stuff together that we then can be proud of, uh, rather than just uh, eating good at home, why don't we go for a hike, take the food with us, and at the forest point uh, of the road, that's when we sit down in nature and we really enjoy uh, the meal and uh, we can be proud of the achievement and then we walk back home together and that memory of being together and doing something out in the nature it will be so much more to carry with you than just a normal meal uh, at home and uh, I that also what gives me relief in my head because if I'm just home in the sofa uh, it's so easy to get the distracted like how many times in one hour can you actually check your mail slack linkedin facebook like whatever it's amazing how your thumb just knows your phone in and out and if you allow yourself to be attached to that phone it's scary how you are like all the time constantly being up to date with everything that's happening but you don't need to be there and how you are going to survive in the long run uh, is to detach yourself from those things happening in work life and uh, that's also then when you can have your brain refreshed coming back to work and oh yes this was going on I really need to find a solution for it but it's so much easier when you have detached yourself from that device and that problem uh, for an hour three hours than constantly trying to be available so it's uh it's definitely my way of uh, letting my brain off the hook for a while but also how i think that we want to live our life collecting the memories creating memories for the children because what's everyday life for me here and now it's the childhood of my uh, kids this is what they are going to remember uh, as growing up with me as their mom so i want them to cherish those moments collect the memories together i mean being it just being an entrepreneur uh, a mother a founder like all of that when you pull all that together there's there's so much right like it's it's sometimes hard to to find the hours but the fact that you can make those small efforts to create those memories with your kid whilst at the same time being a co-CEO and a founder is is really exceptional. I mean, you talked about your thumb knows your phone and, you know, sometimes I don't even realize that I'm on Slack and I'm just sitting there at the dinner table or whatever and I'm on Slack and it's even, not even if there's a new message, sometimes I read messages or conversations <laughs> I had during the day to think, did this make sense? Did I say this in the right way? Could I have done this better? And it's it's just constantly the brain's always on, right? Yeah. And, and I'm really bad at the moment. Like I've stopped going to the gym. I literally go, you know, to work. Um, I go to events. I come home. I think about work. I like well, I'm planning a wedding at the moment, so that's another thing to worry about and stuff. So like, you, your brain, you never I never allow my brain currently to switch off, and it's something that I used to do well. I don't do well now. I know I'm not doing it well, but I'm still not solving it because I'm like, like well, that's just another thing to worry about, like switching my brain off. But when I do go back to the gym, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. But it, it just adds so much extra benefit that 
element of decompression, the element of doing something kind of different, being active, and and I think it, it is super important, and I know it's super important, but it's, it's sometimes just so hard to do it and get started. Yeah, yeah that's the one advice uh, every time, like, we have employees or something that, yeah, I used to do that. I'm not at the moment due to X, Y, Z, uh, endless list of excuses I always make them promise me that uh, like don't push it why do you have to push it tomorrow why wouldn't you go to the gym today and don't make it like it needs to be this 60 minute uh, full body exercise that's going to exhaust you no just make the first step like you go to the gym you are there let's say 10 minutes 15 minutes and then probably you are going to stay longer because once you are there you realize that this is doing good for me uh, and then when you have done the first step it's again like just the body memory of what you need and then everyone doesn't need to go to the gym like Monica and me we are so opposite of each other when it comes to that point but uh, I'm stressing her also to just take moments when she's detached from work and then if it is watching a movie or it is going for a walk or it is taking a sauna most of the time with Monica it's the sauna then just make sure you do that so whatever is your own relief don't come with the long list of excuses because no one else will remove those obstacles for you so it's just about taking the first step and that's truly the only way I believe that we will cope in the long run so unless you are here for a short win and you know that this is this is me coming six months then I'm off to Bahamas and then I'm just going to take care of myself well good okay you will probably <laughs> cope for six months but if you think that it's for the long run like don't push it to tomorrow if you can do something today to help you cope with whatever you are living through Great advice, and one, like I said, I think I need to take as well. Yes. <laughs> um, also now just want to move on to the foundation, which is obviously a big topic um, to talk about. And um, For our listeners who aren't aware, the FinTech Foundation is a new incubator program for early stage founders and startups who are looking to join the FinTech space. Um, it's set up by a fantastic group of founding partners, of which... Uh, Denise and Infuse are integral members. Um, but Denise, I want to ask, what was it about the foundation when you heard about it that you were like, that's something I want to be a part of? So uh, we've been part of the startup community and uh, helping uh, early stage founders within the Finnish ecosystem before, but that's been really on a broad scale so the companies can do anything and everything and uh, I think I once come across another fintech uh, so far uh, and of course like giving a founder's perspective into matters that can be general so it's not uh, it doesn't need to be specific for within your industry but I do think that we have even more to give uh, to fintech founders than just general founders uh, so but we don't have that community in Finland uh, so uh, now, like getting uh, uh, more and more involved in the UK, uh, London, that's like a huge fintech hub. Uh, it would have been the dream to found your own company <laughs> in the UK and maybe not in the Helsinki. But then uh, I think that's just a great opportunity to 
to give more where it can be well received anything that we have to give like I, I do believe we are industry experts within our fields of expertise uh, I think that if I would do this journey uh, over again it would look totally different I hope I'm not going to do it <laughs> once more <laughs> so this is my journey but then how can uh, how can we help other uh, leverage on all the experience and the skills that we have so uh, yeah and uh, there are there are definitely room for new companies and new founders to accelerate even though the environment macroeconomic wise is uh, more challenging than ever before uh, but that's just uh, yeah it's an uh, I'm so much looking forward to uh, to see what we can bring to the table and how others can leverage that and what are the companies that is uh, then going to accelerate uh, off of this program no, me too. I mean, the macroeconomic environment that you mentioned was a big reason for setting up the foundation because I think raising investment is going to get very challenging. Um, it's already challenging, but it's going to get maybe more challenging with um, investors just setting the probably the benchmark higher than it has been for the last few years. And I think there's going to be some fantastic founders out there with fantastic ideas that just need someone to believe in them. And I, and I hope the foundation is that for them. Uh, and obviously with the foundation, we're, we're trying to do it a little differently by not most, you know, incubator programs, they either provide the technology or they provide the mentorship. And we're, and we're trying to provide a bit of both, try and get them with a proof of concept and, and testing their ideas and products in the market. But do you think it's the technology or do you think it's the mentorship uh, which is going to provide the most value for the, for the cohort? I must say it's the both because I, I do think that that's uh, what makes uh, Infuse unique. Uh, it is that we are a combination of people, tech and compliance, meaning we really understand the full ecosystem of what embedded payment or card payment uh, means. So it doesn't help just getting great advice if you don't know technically how to solve and what does that mean technically or when it comes to compliance because if you are dealing with other people's money you also need to consider compliance it's nothing that you can ignore uh, even in uh, testing better phase uh, you need to understand the full picture and and that's what makes us unique and that's why I also believe that that's the that we bring both the consultative approach uh, as well as the tech and giving them insight into the compliance. Uh, I, I believe that's what's going to, to give the most to them. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard to have one without the other, right? You can have all the tech in the world, but if you don't know how to use it, what's the point? And exactly. you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have the tech, again, kind of like, what's the point, right? Um, yeah. So that's where we hope the, the foundation will really flourish and help the cohort by being able to provide both and that kind of end-to-end -end experience from com compliance to you know banking rails to how to launch a car program and I think that the conglomeration of partners that we have with Infuse being a key part of that is, is going to be um, such a fantastic value add for the cohort. Yeah. Um, being a founder yourself, what are you looking for from the people applying um, to the cohort? What, what specifically would you look out for? 
the passion, uh, the true belief uh, in what you want to build, and then combine with uh, being humble and ready to listen in to uh, any tips or advices uh, that you uh, might receive. So, uh, yeah, uh, but having like the big picture dream uh, and like understanding that to make a dream a reality, you need to take concrete actions and you are prepared to to do that and you are prepared to sacrifice something along the journey because trust me being a founder is not all about joy and excitement it is about pushing through the hard time and you really need to be mentally uh, prepared for that and like when I say sacrifice what do I mean I don't know what it will mean for you but you are probably not going to get 10 hours of beauty sleep and uh, mm -hmm. facials and whatever every week so so depending um, on how, how your life is looking today it might look different and you need to be okay with that and you need to understand what where that journey is going to take you but then again also uh, don't be too fixed of an idea but really listen in to the whole mentorship program and be prepared to take another approach uh, to meet those goals. Mm. Yeah, you'll, you'll get plenty more gray hairs being a founder than if you were a founder, as we said earlier. But it, it's, it's that bit we talked about with investment, right? Like, believe in your idea, um, be confident in it, stick by it, but also don't be overly stubborn with it. If people are there, who aren't investors, but who are, have been in the industry and they're advising you, like, maybe look at this or this. Just be open to the ideas, consider it. And even if you don't go down that path that they're suggesting, the fact that you've considered it might open your mind to another idea in the future that may be more Exactly, yes. So, yeah, it's be confident what you're doing, come with an open mind, and get ready for the, the hard work and the grey hairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great. And um, also want to just touch on a, a few more subjects um, with you. Um, I had a really great podcast um, the other week with uh, Rich Stockley from Currency Cloud. And yes. Rich, who I think you know, um, really great guy, he had previously done some work for like government organizations, um, NGOs, where he kind of assisted in some of the disaster recovery when people were displaced. And we talked in that podcast about how fintech could play a role in helping kind of victims of displacement either due to a natural disaster or conflict. And actually, Infuse kind of had a proposition that you launched to the market not long ago, the Infuse First Aid Card. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that project kind of came about and what you were looking to accomplish with it? Mm. Yes, definitely. So. The idea of the first aid card came around when we started to see the, the immigrants from Ukraine uh, come across the border to Finland. Like Finland is not their first choice of country just because of how we are placed next to Russia. Uh, but even like into Finland, they started to come and we started to look at how are we um, as a society embedding immigrants into the everyday life. Like up in the Nordics, 
you don't use cash anymore. Uh, it's card payments, it's embedded payments, it's uh, Sweden are longer. They say that they have cashless society. We are not yet there in Finland, but we are more and more moving into that direction. Uh, but then when we get immigrants into the country, uh, we have no ways of giving them any electronic money. So they need to stay in lines to get their allowance, like register themselves, then get some small allowance, and then they need to repeat that for as long as they stay in the country. And that just looks so terrible from, from the outside. Like, how can we treat these people who have already suffered so much uh, this poorly when we are a technological society and we should have all the means to help them uh, without standing in line in the Finnish winter. Like, you know, maybe the weather in Finland, but I can tell you it's bad and it's cold. Um, and then we started to think, what do what can we as a fintech do? Like, we actually, we are the issuer. We uh, know how to set up a card program. Uh, and how could this potentially help the immigrants of Finland? And if we could help Finland, why couldn't this be something that could be used more broadly? And why are we then only talking about the immigrants of Ukraine? Could it, it be any like disaster happening? Uh, people need to, uh, for some reason, flee the country. And uh, that was the starting point of the first day card. And uh, what it's all about, it's a payout. So you might identify the person or you might not be able to identify the person, but you, you want to give uh, electronic means to pay for anything they need at that uh, point of time. Um, and uh, I think the, the idea and the ambition behind the first aid card was great and it was well received. Then working with NGOs and <laughs> with uh, yeah immigrant uh, associations around in Europe, it's uh, taking much more time than we anticipated earlier this year. We are seeing movements and uh, we really hope that uh, Finland will be the first one to really adapt to this because now winter is again coming. They haven't been solving this issue uh, in any other means and uh, uh, conversations are, are still ongoing. But uh, yeah, we think that the immigrant associations around in Europe and NGOs, they, they just need to take their act together and uh, really have the will to improve and think about the end users of this use case, like how can we make their life that are so hard at the moment just a little bit easier? And if there are means to do that, then let's grab those means and uh, help them. Absolutely. I mean, it's such a great initiative. And and obviously, if there's any support we can give in those conversations, do, do let us know. But I very much hope the um, the organizations you're speaking to can um, pull their finger out for want of a better word so we can get uh, the help that the people need uh, as fast as they can. Yes. Um, I also want to talk about, and I think it would be remiss of me not to, um, yours and Monica's roles as female founders in fintech. Because even today in 2022, there's still maybe not enough female founders and there's maybe not enough opportunity given to prospective female founders. Can you 
maybe talk about if you know of any initiatives that um, prospective female founders or even just female employees in fintech can look at for support or guidance or mentorship? Well, I think what we generally just need to become maybe better at than what we females generally are is about networking. So really taking the opportunity to network at any event. Uh, there are great female uh, initiatives out there. Um, and uh, But I, I'm not sure that you should only uh, engage with the female intended uh, networking events. I think that you need to be good at networking with anyone because uh, you don't know who from your network you will need help from uh, one day but you need to collect uh, uh, names, uh, stories, uh, business understanding from wherever you can and then leverage on those. So also have there to ask the day when you actually need help go through your network and again this is something that I think that it comes more naturally for men that actually I met this guy once five years ago uh, in Italy uh, let me call him and that's what you need to do like collect the stories collect the names and then when the time comes like dare to ask because you will get surprised how often people are willing to help you when you ask for help for something. So we shouldn't be too stubborn, uh, just like, no, but I, I'm doing this my way. Uh, I don't know anyone or I don't want to ask help. It's hard to ask help. Shit that. Like, it's not hard to ask help. It's asking a question. The worst you can get is a no, but hey, you tried, then you move on to the next. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's mentally for the women to step up, to believe in what we do, to own our space and to own our own story and dare to ask for help. Uh, and like we need to push each other to do it. We need to bring up our daughters so that it comes more naturally for them, uh, that it, they don't need to struggle in the future. And uh, yeah, support anyone. Like there are room for success stories all around Europe, globally, there is no one woman that will win and the rest will lose. And I think that's the mentality of the men, like there is enough success for everyone and we need to adapt that as well. So whenever you see a female doing something good, like it doesn't take a lot to put the support button on LinkedIn or just you go girl, uh, great job, looking forward to follow your journey. Like it, it's the small things that will push uh, each other uh, to achieve greatness. So don't be shy, uh, own your space, be proactive, and always take the opportunity to cheer our fellow women uh, on their journey. Fantastic advice. The one thing I will absolutely testify to is, and I think I've said this maybe on every podcast I've done in the last few weeks is, when I entered the industry, the amount of people who are willing to provide advice or mentorship that I could ask questions to, which maybe were stupid questions when I first joined because I was naive and ignorant and new to the industry, but the amount of people who are willing to spend that time and kind of go through that stuff with me, there are, there are so many of them and this industry is so open in that way. So 
no one, man or woman, should be shy to ever ask for help or advice. There are plenty of people that are willing to give it and and absolutely the pie is big enough, right? One the success of one person doesn't mean someone else can't be successful. There is plenty of room and opportunity in this market for everyone to be successful and everyone can do that together, right? There's there's so much collaboration going on in this space, again a topic I've discussed intensively in other shows. But it is so true that there is so much collaboration and there's so much of people who might look as competitors working together to benefit both themselves and the industry. And I think if everyone can take that mentality or bring that mentality, then everyone will benefit or continue to benefit. Yes, fully agree. Great. Um, my last question for today, um, I'm now nervous to ask it because you already mentioned you never want to do it again. But if you were to become a founder again, what would you do? Do you have an idea in mind already? <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, me and Monica, we do wanna once the day come where we are when we are done with Enfuse, we are going to leverage all the knowledge and the skills and the experience that we have gained by that date, and we will give it back to the community. Uh, in some means, like will it be through uh, investing, uh, what stage, uh, what kind of uh, companies, we don't know. But we are like, we are collecting all the learnings, experience. We are uh, constantly discussing on uh, like how do we see the learning, how do we see the experience, how would we uh, adapt uh, a new situation with this new learning, uh, how do we take this with us uh, for the longer perspective. So I'm pretty sure I will found something again together with my co-founder, my co-CEO. Uh, exactly what that will be in the future, I don't know. But I don't think it will be uh, founding a tech company going from five employees to hundreds of employees. So it will be something else. So it will be a new experience. Uh, but of course, leveraging all the skills. <laughs> wow. Well, I very much look forward to seeing you both on that journey in the few years time. Wow, what a story. We really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next amazing episode. I'm sure you've heard about Integrated Finance's exciting fintech foundation incubator, where new fintech founders can come and get exclusive access to a core banking technology stack, business mentors, and it's backed by some of the leading fintech partners and investors, such as Mastercard, Currency Cloud, Comply Advantage, Infuse, 500 Global, Superseed Ventures, Octopus Ventures, and many more. If you have an idea to shake up how financial services are done today, find out more about how to join us at incubator.integrated.finance. Take care.